The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. I'm Kim Commando, America's Digital Goddess, and you're listening to the Secrets of Technology podcast. Enjoy. You're listening to the Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Jack Barazzini. Hey, Jack. Hey, Dom. And Thomas Senero. Hey, Thomas. Hey, Dom. So I wanted to start today's episode off right away with a some listener feedback. We got some feedback on our recent discussion of NFTs, non-fungible tokens, that sort of thing. Uh, as we record this, there was a whole big thing about an NFT at the Oscars. It was in the in the the gift bags that they get, the two hundred thousand dollars gift bags that the presenters get, and all this other nonsense. Uh, it was typically Hollywood all about it. But th- this isn't what uh, this email is about. Melanie wrote an email, not my Melanie, my not my wife Melanie. She doesn't email me. Uh, but but another Melanie wrote, "Thanks for the episode on NFTs. I understand them better now." One way to make a physical book unique is to have it both signed and inscribed. I've had the opportunity to attend book signings, and the author will include your name when they sign the book. Some authors have also included the date when they signed it. That's a good point. Actually, two more ways of making something even more unique. I know unique is just unique. I have a, I have a thing about the word unique. It's misused all the time, but it makes it even more unique. Uh, so that was, that was a, that was a good point. Yes. So putting your name in it putting your date in it, that that sets it apart even further from all others that are just signed. Uh, Then uh, she said, you made good points about privacy when discussing employer apps on personal phones. One issue you didn't mention, but could be important to some people, is the space that the app takes up. On an older phone, I often ran out of space, and that made me consider what I really wanted to have on my phone. Yeah, that's that's another good point. You know, if if your company requires you to have an app on your phone, you like we mentioned, you got to have a phone that can have an app and mm-hmm. and perhaps it would push you to make sure you had a phone that's a newer phone that you didn't end up having to go buy and that could accommodate it and all that sort of stuff. So that's another good consideration. I actually had that problem with the, the job that I just took with a required me to have a certain type of phone because it had to meet security specifications to be able to load the app. And oh, so I had yeah. an option. I could either start that day by going to get myself a new phone. Or I had to wait a week for them to send me the little um, uh, key card swiper thing that, <laughs> that, uh. that would come. So I was like, I'll go get the phone. <laughs> so you couldn't use your you build it yourself Linux phone that you made and no, cobbled no. together out yeah. of a Raspberry Pi, <laughs> right? Darn it. <laughs> it was actually well, I, I was kind of disappointed because it was it was a Motorola phone that I had, and what they were requiring was. Um, some piece some piece of functionality that's in the bigger mainline phone so i ended up having to get a samsung which i'm not a huge fan of samsung's i'm just gonna be honest yeah uh, they you know they over promise and under deliver but uh you know i went ahead and got this one because it just worked on all the samsung devices so i was like okay i'll just get a samsung yeah <laughs> that'll take care of it yeah that's that's what you end up doing a lot of times is i just need to get the thing and i need and this right. is the thing that works mm-hmm. right all right. Well, thank you, Melanie, for your feedback. We love to get feedback from our listeners, and uh, that was the very, very uh, it added a lot. So, thank you very much. 
So this week we're talking about, we have a, a really good topic, I feel like. And this is also, a, a I think a listener suggested, was what about recycling old tech? We we had an episode a while ago where we talked about keeping your old tech alive. You know, you've got uh, older computers, older phones or whatever, and you want to keep using them. How do I keep keep them going? And, and I'll have a link to that in our show notes. That was just about a year ago. Uh but we got a request. What do I do when I want to get rid of my old tech? What's the best way to get rid of old tech that I no longer, ha- I no longer have need for or use for or that sort of thing? So I wanted to to kind of discuss the different options. But ask you guys, like, what have you done when you've had old tech? And, and Thomas, I know you you uh, you <laughs> reuse old tech. It's still in my garage. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. But it's but when you do get rid of stuff, like, what is what is some of the ways that you've passed it on to other people, or or passed it on to better use or? <laughs> To, to the say, upstate I, in by, a the time, farm. by the time i'm done with it it is it is done like there is there is nothing left usable in the thing that i am passing <laughs> on so i'm i am typically taking it to a recycle center we have okay. we have a really nice uh uh the the uh the, uh waste management uh group here is really good about recycling electronics and so i just take it there i leave it there I make sure to shred, uh, you know, document shred any of the files on any of the hard drives that I turn in that way. And then I actually physically take them apart as well before I leave them there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that by the time I'm done with it, it is done. It is, it has seen all possible life cycles that it can. That, that is actually a really good point I hadn't thought of, which is the, uh, making sure that none of your data goes with it when you get rid of it. Mm-hmm. But let's bring that up in a second. Uh, but first I want to ask Jack about what he does. What, what do you do with your old stuff? For things that I cannot reuse, I will make sure I recycle them. Um, I especially try to make sure I get the batteries recycled somewhere ethical. They're not just going to go into a landfill. Mm. Um, but for computers that still have a little bit of life in them, I'll take them apart, usually with several other old computers I have, kind of cobble together a Frankenstein computer that works well, and then give it to someone who needs a laptop, maybe for school or just for a project, but they don't need something that's going to be top of the line. Um, I've done that a lot when I used to be an IT manager where I worked. Uh, We had a bunch of out of date old Dell laptops and the boss was like, you can just throw them away or sell them on eBay. I don't care what you do with them. So I took those all apart and I refurbished them and I gave them to some friends who needed some old computers. But, you know, nothing crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot along the lines of things that I've done. I've, you know, I got five kids. I've passed things on to them or passed computers on to, you know, my brother or my sister, that sort of thing. I'm trying to think of other things I've done. Oh, well, most recently I've had a few, I've upgraded some components. I went for, you know, I got a slightly bigger NAS, a network attached storage. I went from a two bay to a four bay because I needed the space because I'm podcasting up a lot of space apparently. And uh, so I, I wanted to get rid of the old one and sort of subsidize the purchase of the new one. So I did those on Facebook Marketplace, which I give it a uh, a middling review of how well it went. And I'll talk about that a little more in a sec. But I've also uh, I've had a hard time finding good recyclers. I've recycled at stores where I've like Apple or Best Buy and that sort of stuff. But uh, there, well, I'll talk a little bit more in a bit about finding a, a recycler near you and other things like that. Um, and so the the big the big four things that you can do are you can give it away or sell it online. So give it to a person or sell it to somebody. Uh, those mm-hmm. are that's that's one. Uh, you could recycle it. You could donate it, but not broken stuff. That's a big one. Don't donate broken stuff. Only donate good stuff that's just old. Uh, donate to charity. 
or you could trade it in. And that's another thing that you're seeing more and more from manufacturers and retailers and that sort of stuff. But I want to get back to the point about making sure that none of your data goes with it. That's actually a really good point. Yeah, and it's something that a lot of people I don't think uh, are careful of. Um, and uh, there, there's there's kind of two stages of this. There's one, I didn't think about it. I just got rid of everything. And then there's the other, oh my gosh, I can never get rid of this because it's got data. It has had my data on it. And right. really, the, the truth is like between the two. Uh, there are some great programs out there. If you are a Windows user, I recommend a program called um, LeechBit. Yeah, it, it goes through and it does some it, it not only does it erase the data that's there. This is one of the things that a lot of people don't know. You need to go a little bit further than just erasing the data that's there. You have to do something to replace that data. And what it will do is it randomizes uh, data input so that when it deletes what's there, it actually randomly replaces it with something else so that it's it truly unrecoverable. Uh, right. And that's that's the thing you need to know is that it, it has to be truly unrecoverable because just deleting something doesn't mean that it's gone. It can be recoverable by uh, not 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 too difficult a process, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of times it's the computers telling the the hard drive just forget that this is here. It's still there, right. but just forget where I put it. <laughs> Which right, it's, right. It you doesn't know, wipe it. It doesn't wipe put it. something new on there. Something else that you can do if you have old obsolete hard drives and you need to let out some anger is a <laughs> yes. hammer. Make sure you wear some goggles. A little office fun. space going on. That's the brute force approach. The, yeah. the office. Yeah, a hammer or a, a drill. Like if you got a nice heavy metal drill that can go through metal, you drill mm-hmm. right through that platter, you know, all the way through it, it safely. Um, and uh, yeah, that thing's not going to be easily recoverable outside of a government agency. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's that's a good one. Um, th- th- there's also, you can buy like degaussing, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Devices degaussing is essentially changing the magnetic field. It's simplistically, mm-hmm. uh, but you, you got to be kind of careful with that that you don't actually degauss something you don't want to degauss and yeah. that that sort of stuff. And it, they're usually bulky and expensive and heavy and that sort of stuff. It's also good to um, remember when you're if you do want to destroy old um, devices that have data on them, make sure you're not letting any sort of toxic chemicals spill out because if you're right. messing with things that have batteries or if you have like old crts that's not really much of an issue anymore because most people don't have those but those have dangerous elements in them so you got to be careful if you're going to do that if you have old crts if you have old crts sell them they are yes. worth yeah. so much money right now <laughs> you would not even believe it's insane uh the hobbyist market it, especially for people who are making arcade games and uh because you know the old duck hunt gun doesn't work on on an LCD. Uh, modern TVs. It, yeah. It has to have a CRT TV. And so since they aren't being made anymore and there are only a few of them in existence, you can get a really pretty penny for an old CRT TV. Oh, wow. That is a, yeah, that is a good point. Recently, a lot of retro tech has become really, really valuable. Like even in just mm-hmm. the past year, I've been looking for like a Commodore 64, things like that. The prices have gone way up. Mm-hmm. So if you uh-huh. have old stuff, a couple of years ago it might not have been worth anything, but you might be able to get some money for it if it's still functional. Ooh, maybe I could sell these old ADB cables and, and 56K modems I still got in my closet. Yeah. <laughs> Never know. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's, it might be possible. Uh, that's actually really good. And then, of course, that's that's really what the, so we're talking about destroying hard drives, like spinny drives. There's also SSDs, and those actually might be a little easier to destroy. Just hammer them, break them, drill them. Uh but yeah. like things like phones and like if you just want to wipe something, not destroy it, but wipe something like you mentioned bleach bit. If you've got a phone 
Um, they usually have built in, like with an iPhone, they mm. usually have a, a, a built in reset in the in the system settings. There's a whole reset when you have to say, I'm, I do really want to wipe this three times before it will let you do it. Right. Uh, but you also want to turn off things like you want to turn off its uh, find my function and turn off uh, the connection to your iTunes, your music right. library and that sort of stuff, too. You want to deregister it. That's a, when, right. you, when you're talking about stuff like that. You want to make sure that you go into your iTunes account or your Android account and that you tell it, I no longer own this phone. Uh, because somebody can, when they log into it, it, it automatically reconnects or attempts to reconnect with, yeah. with your device. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's that's good uh, basic information. We may, we may come back and, and deal with that in a little more detail, actually, at a later point, because that's actually a really good topic. But uh, that's basically how to wipe your stuff and make it suitable for passing on. But let's talk about some of the ways you can pass it on. So the first one I mentioned was like either give it away or sell it online. And I mentioned Facebook Marketplace. Uh, I had a middling experience with that, I, I said. And the reason it is is because I I did some research, like how much is this particular NAS selling for in the used marketplace, uh, given the condition it's in, which was pretty good. And I set the price accordingly. And everybody thinks that everything can be bargained. <laughs> If you're mm. selling something online and they always want to undercut you. And I had a, I, at one point I brought the price down. I said like, I, okay, I'll go with this. And this is my, this is the price I will pay it for. And this is the price people asked for that I had refused before, but now I just want to get rid of it. And then people were undercutting that. So what I, what did I do? <laughs> I raised the price back up like in between where I had started and where I went and someone offered me the price I had been you know, that had been my bottom line. And they, he felt like he got a deal. I got rid of the thing. So it was kind of a hassle. Facebook also has this thing where they really want you to offer to ship it to somebody. And there's a whole thing you go through to set that up through Facebook and with the payment going through Facebook. And I, I started going through that and it was, it didn't, it didn't work correctly. I couldn't get it to go. And then I'm like, I don't want Facebook to be part of this. So I'm only doing in-person hand me cash transactions yeah something that i've done before with that is i'll sell it on facebook marketplace and then if they want to ship it we'll just chat about it and do it through paypal and i'll just send it to them yeah yeah that's a good thing too they have to trust you that's the, the big thing is they right, gotta trust yeah. that you're gonna you're not gonna throw a rock in a box and send it to them <laughs> <laughs> right yeah and it's the same thing with craigslist um, right and then pat Pat Scott, she offered some suggestions. She says uh, she's bought and sold via website Low End Mac or no, the Facebook group for a website called Low End Mac. And all, they have also a Low End PC group where people often offer to sell or, or, or are looking to buy older Macs and PCs. So those are a couple of examples. Uh, I have a blog post I wrote a little while ago about my experiences and how to be safe when you're selling online. You know, mm. how, how, you know, it's easy to get someone to try to scam you, try someone try to hurt you even. So, you know, things like if you have any concerns, your local police station often has a online sellers meetup place in their parking lot and that sort of thing. So that that's a consideration. I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. And then if you want to get just get rid of something, give it away. If you go to onto Facebook, a lot of towns have something called buy nothing groups, and it's a sort of it's a kind of an unorganized movement where the whole idea is buy nothing, sell nothing. This is just people giving things away that they that they want to get rid of and people getting things that they need 
for for no cost and it's usually it's nothing very worth very much but sometimes if you want to just get rid of like old mice and old trackpads or keyboards or something like that someone will take it you just say hey look i've got these like three old keyboards for a mac anybody want it sure i'll i'll take one you know someone will say so that's a possibility uh something similar that's not facebook based but is called uh free cycle it's a website freecycle.org and that's another way to do it. It's community based, so you find your local community and you you list things, and, or you can look for things, and for free. That the whole idea is you're giving it away. I, I have used FreeCycle before, and it's fantastic. Um, I've gotten some really great things. It was when I was in my real heyday of uh, grabbing electronic stuff and <laughs> refurbing it. And uh, you know, people people know that 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 what they have is worth something, but they don't really, they don't want to bother with pricing it. They don't want to bother with putting it on eBay. They just want it out. Yes. <laughs> what it's gone. It. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So that's, yeah. Free cycle. I've, I've used it a few times for different things. Yeah. And it's worked out. Usually I'm getting rid of stuff that way. It does. It's not always perfect. Like, you know, sometimes I'll list things and no one wants it. And I end up, you know, like, well, I got to throw it away or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, or in the case of I, that stuff, that's not recyclable. Usually there was some things like that. But um, yeah, that's those. So those are different ways of getting rid of things by by selling and getting some money for it or by giving it to somebody else who, who could use it. So a big one is, uh, you know, if it works. You can pass it on to a relative or friend who doesn't need the latest and greatest. That's another big thing to consider. Uh, sometimes you might have an older relative or someone who's just not tech savvy or a kid who just needs a basic phone to do listen to audiobooks. That's what we have in my house is a big one. Yep. Uh, and, you know, an old iPhone six that I would never, you know, it doesn't run the, you know, the latest uh, systems. I just give it to my son to for his audiobooks, and it's on the Wi-Fi, and that's all there is. It doesn't have phone service or anything like that. That sort of stuff. I have a few of those floating around my house. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and every once in a while, they die. Like uh, my son's iPhone uh-huh. five, it just died and gave me the blinking red screen of death, which was a new one to me. Uh, I've never seen Uh-oh. an iPhone do that, but apparently, I googled it, and apparently, that's a thing. So now we're in the hunt for a new phone to replace that, a new old piece of uh, phone tech. So we'll we'll see what we come up with. All right. So then uh, the next option would be would be to, as you mentioned, recycle. And there's a few websites that will help you find a local recycler. Uh, call to recycle dot org. See CTA dot tech, which is the recycle locator, the greener gadgets recycle locator. Earth 911. Interesting. Goodwill Industries is cooperating mm-hmm. with Dell and they have a free computer recycling program, not just Dell's, but they'll recycle anything. So that's a good one. And your city or town may have electronics recycling days on occasion or once a year, a couple of times a year. And you just got to keep an eye out for when they do that. And you bring things in, including batteries. That's a big one. That's I mm-hmm. I have a bag full of batteries that I usually bring to that. So re- that, those recycling. And Thomas, as you mentioned, you've ha- you've got a local recycler that you that you go to. Yeah, our, our waste management facilities are actually really good with it. And they they collect the things. And I'm, I'm assuming that they don't take care of them themselves because it ends up in a separate collection from all of the other stuff. And it's very well, you know, they take it in at the end of the day and put it in an air conditioned unit and all that kind of stuff. So I'm assuming that they then take it to one of these recycling facilities from there. But yeah, they they do a good job of separating it all out. You want to make sure when you're doing that, though, that um, because I know there's been some cases, I think this happened to Best Buy a while ago, where they were actually taking the e-waste and just shipping it overseas and reselling it there so Mm -hmm. people could melt it down and get the precious metals out of it so when you're doing it 
just make sure you're doing your research yeah. right. as to where you're taking it so it's going to be above board. Right. They were shipping it and, and getting taking the, the good precious metals in bulk and then throwing the rest of it into Laneville or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That was right. that was pretty wasteful. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff in old tech. Like there's a lot of rare earths, uh, you know, uh, materials, and a lot of that stuff is in there. And especially when you get this all together, lots and lots of old phones and computers and stuff like that. There's a lot of that stuff in there. And I think Apple at their recent te- uh, keynote was just saying like we have X percentage of like of our all this stuff has we've recycled the rare earth metals. It's mm-hmm. kind of a big deal given what we've heard recently about the environmental impact in places like China and India and Africa of the mining for these metals and that, that sort of thing. So that's that's right. a big deal. So so that's recycling. Anything more on recycling, guys? I, I don't know if there's a lot more to say about them. I would I would caution you, even if you are taking your device to get recycled, make sure that you do a a wipe of the yes. information. If you've got any yes. kind of hard drives or anything. Don't trust that it's just going to be shredded when it gets there or that it's not going to fall into someone's hands because there are people that will go through those things and will find the old the old the old hard drives and pull them out and resurrect them. Right. Because there's you can actually if you're interested in collecting old tech, people will take things to be recycled that are still perfectly good. I know I know some people who get into retro tech, they'll mm-hmm. find old systems through recyclers they know. So make sure you're wiping your data. Yeah. You know, speaking of that, I should have mentioned this in the give it away or sell it uh, online part of this. The MIT, which is near me, I, I live in the Boston area. They have the famous uh, Saturday uh, swap market or flea market. Where it's they have all kinds of like all these MIT folks come together and all these you know tech heads with all kinds of amazing old tech that you can buy. I mean, some of it's just basically almost junk, you know, like like old cases, empty cases. But some of it's like real old, you know, antique technology and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so flea markets, swap meets, those are good too. I should have mentioned yeah. that earlier. Yeah, part of that cautionary tale about the I've read. I remember reading news stories about. People buying equipment like computers and stuff and open, opening it up and finding other people's data already on these computers mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. in the hard drives. And so, so, you know, it, it turns out, yeah, the 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 little company that was selling me this stuff had just took a, a hard drive and shoved it in there, didn't even forgot to format it. I mean, so that's it's old used technology. So you got to be careful when you're buying from people that you're getting reputable stuff. But, yeah, that's a ca- the cautionary tale there. So uh, let's talk about donating. And like I said, when you donate to a charity, don't give them your junk. No, because they don't want your junk either. They're going to end up having to you know, throw it away themselves. Uh, so, right. a, 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 you know, and this being a Catholic podcast, the first thing I'm going to suggest is if you've got an older computer, not ancient, but older computer, check with your local Catholic school or parish. They, they might have a use for it. They might mm-hmm. know somebody in the parish who could use it, too. So mm-hmm. just check with them. And if you're donating it, you, you like we said, you wipe it. You, you could maybe either put an OS on it like Linux or the current Mac OS or, or that's or if you want to buy a Windows upgrade or that sort of thing, you put the best Windows on it that you could. Uh, that's a funny thing. And uh, then uh, <laughs> and then, you know, hand it over to, to them and, you know, help out. So that's one option. Um, then there's also, uh, again, I mentioned Goodwill. They also take donations of computers. There's the World Computer Exchange, which takes computers, uh, fixes them up, cleans them up, uh, and then ships them overseas 
to uh, developing nations where they could use them, especially schools in developing nations. Um, there's an eBay for charity where you sell things online and instead of you getting the money, it's, it's literally through eBay. eBay donates the money to the charity of your choice. So that's an interesting uh, way to donate. And then any other ideas, guys, for, for donating stuff? Um, you can always contact your local schools or um, if you have a makerspace, lots of times they'll take oh. old stuff. That's a good yeah. place to take oh, it. Oh, good idea. Good idea. Makerspaces are pretty good. Libraries are a great uh, place to talk to, too. They can't necessarily use it, but often they'll run um, courses for uh, older users who are you know, getting into tech mm-hmm. and what they just need is like a device that will allow them to browse the internet. And so you, if you work with your library, you can sometimes get, uh, mm. give them some of the tech and they can be able to give that out to people that need it. Now, Thomas, when you worked in the Catholic school and someone, if someone showed up mm-hmm. and said, Hey, I've got an old computer, what, what would, what would be your response? Is that something you'd be interested in usually or no? Um, pretty often, no, uh, except in the situation where I could like take it apart and show it to the kids. Um, uh, so as the tech teacher, I would do that sometimes. We got a server. Uh, we had somebody that was uh, had a decommissioned server that he brought in. And so it was great to be able to show him how to hot swap stuff. You know, like you could take the power bank out the back and put it back in. And to show him all of that kind of stuff was really neat. But for the most part, we didn't. But I will say that the pandemic changed that a little bit because we did have some kids that were at home that um, we, we had a one-to-one device policy. But you know, we had some kids that were just not as careful with their devices as they needed to be. <laughs> and right. um, so, so instead of continually giving them uh, Microsoft Surface Pros that they were going to drop and break, we would give them a desktop. <laughs> and right. those mm-hmm. desktops came from uh, people who had donated them to the school. Oh, great. Uh, so, yeah, it, it occasionally we would, especially um, corporate donations were really great in that sense because we got um, we got a whole bank of uh uh, monitors for the the tech lab one year, and that was from McDill Air Force Base. They donated a whole bunch of monitors that they had decommissioned to us. So nice, yeah, it was it was really nice deal. Right, and so after donating, there's also the option of trading in, and that that's a pretty good deal. It's it's it, it's not necessarily you're not necessarily going to get the top dollar for your trade ins, and some of the old trade in options have gone away. And you guys remember Gazelle a few from a few years ago. Yeah, where oh, they yeah. would, you know, they would give you. I've and I used it a few times where you know they would take you would send them your device. They'd they'd give you a quote. You'd send them the device, and then they would send you money or an Amazon gift card or something along those lines in trade for it. And that is, they got bought out by a bigger company, and they changed. The company really changed its personality and its focus. And mm-hmm. I don't, I don't necessarily recommend him anymore. Uh, but you can go directly to people like Amazon. We'll take in old, you know, Echoes and Kindles and Fire tablets and tr- you can trade them in. You can upgrade w- while trading in. Apple does a, a pretty good trade in program. They'll even take mm-hmm. stuff that's old Macs that aren't even worth anything anymore, but they'll still take them in and recycle them for you. That's mm-hmm. the other thing is you don't necessarily have to get money for it. Yeah. They'll even take old Android phones. You yeah. have that option if you're getting an iPhone. Oh, right, mm-hmm. right. If you're buying an iPhone, they'll take they'll gladly take your old Android phone out of your <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I, th- I think the, the thing to keep in mind there is that really when it comes down to it, the recycling is about uh, economies of scale, right? It, it's getting the precious metals out of a device is not worthwhile to do in an ecologically friendly way unless you can do it on a huge scale. So, mm-hmm. right. you know, a company like Apple, they can afford to take in those devices and strip all the stuff that they need out of them right and they famously have the like those recycling robots that 
that take the the things apart for them. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're smart robots. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And like we said, Best Buy has a recycling program. I would I I I think I might actually want to do some more research on whether they've improved their practices since that time that time you mentioned Jack. Mm-hmm. Now that you mention it, you can also recycle ink and toner cartridges. You can either do that directly with a manufacturer like HP or whatever, or through like Office Depot or Staples. They'll they also do recycling for those they'll give you a little bit of money back toward you know other purchases there that sort of thing um if you're upgrading your phone your carrier will sometimes buy back your old phone sprint does it verizon does it i think at&t does it too i think they all do it so that's another option so i was looking at this call to recycle website that <laughs> you mentioned i was like i'm, I'm gonna go check this out and see yeah. and it looks like home depot does a lot that, that works a lot with them because that's what i'm seeing show up in my area is a lot of home depot Mm-hmm. spots and my waste management facility works with that oh call. good so that's that's where they end up sending their stuff off to get taken care of which is cool oh nice <laughs> that's good to know call to recycle <laughs> is uh looks like they they they're primarily and at this my understanding of, of from their site is batteries and cell phones that's their mm-hmm. big their two big things and i'm gonna guess that a lot of like home depot and lowe's are gonna be a lot of the batteries especially batteries. For, for um power tools that sort of stuff yeah. but yeah that's mm-hmm. that's true um yeah, actually, it's really good. I have to think I've got some old power tool batteries I need to recycle. So that's that's good. I'm glad I found that uh, site. All right. Uh, anything else we want to say about, you know, getting rid of your old tech uh, and, and uh, responsibly in a, in a way that is good for us, good for the environment, good for other people? What do you think? Anything? One important thing that people usually forget to do when they're recycling is uh, separating the darks from the lights. You got to remember to do that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you do not want to end up with a pink phone. That's just uh, that would be wrong. <laughs> That's cheesy. That's that teasing is, everyone. That's, yeah. uh, that's 100% teasing. <laughs> <laughs> just so everybody's clear. Yes, yeah, so we're just we're just joking. We're just joking. All uh, right. No, I think I think yeah. one more one more thing I, I would like to bring up is never think that something is is so far gone uh, that it can't be used by a savvy uh, tech person. Because I have I have resurrected many uh, computers that just should not have been able to be resurrected i've been told flat out by people that you're not gonna be able to get past the security and i'm like okay <laughs> sure <laughs> that's that's a that's an offer not a not a dissuasion right it's a challenge, yeah, that's yeah. a challenge right there uh and and so you know and in the i mean stuff's getting harder to do but it in some cases it's actually even even better for the person that's doing it because they're going to learn more about what their capabilities are and what the, the potential is for the devices that they're working on mm-hmm. uh, by doing that. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, heck, if someone came up and said, I've got an Apple two GS that, uh, do you want it? I would be so on top of that. Like that, right. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would lo- like some of that old tech. I would, I would yeah. grab it in a second. Before we move on to our next segment, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Patrick M, Sabra L, Luke K, Julia K, and Martin R. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So a little bit of a few headlines we want to talk about. The Following up on our recent Apple-centric episode a couple weeks ago, uh, Apple finally finally ended the longest beta period for a point release I've ever seen from them. (laughs) iOS 14.5 is finally out. And the reason I say finally is because it adds a feature that I've wanted and everybody's wanted 
which is you can now unlock your phone with Face ID while you're wearing a mask. Uh, and the way it does it is, is you have to great you, a year ago. I know we're, <laughs> we're just coming out. Like even in Massachusetts, we're just about to end our mask mandate, but uh, we'll have masks indoors for a little, for a little while longer. But the, the, the key is you have to have an Apple watch. And if you have an Apple watch paired with your phone, it will use the, your, your Apple in your Apple watch is unlocked. So you've verified, you know, you put in your code. It will use that verification, the same that it uses for Apple Pay, to unlock your phone, to verify your phone and unlock it. I used it today. The biggest thing for me is I do the food shopping, and so I go to the grocery store, and I've got my shopping list app on my phone, and it's the phone's constantly like going to sleep, and it's like, uh, and then type in my secure password, because you had to have a, a long secure password for your phone. It was just a pain. Now it's just a click, oh, bliss, bliss, to have it open <laughs> up uh, with a, while I'm wearing my mask. That was great. And then the other big element in it is the new app tracking protocol, which is which Facebook has been so uh, vocal about and claiming that it's going to destroy small business in America. Basically, what it does is it requires all apps to ask specifically ask permission if they're going to try to track you outside of the app. So no problem if you're in in Facebook and you're liking things and clicking on things. That's no problem if they're if Facebook is keeping track of what you're doing. That's that's their their domain. But if they're trying to track you outside of the app when you're on websites and other places like where they're that have Facebook, you know, pixels and and like buttons, that sort of stuff, that's forbidden. And that and that's not just Facebook, it's all other apps too. And uh it's sort of a the nuclear option in privacy is the way some people described it, where Apple is really put a, a mark on the ground and said we're we're not gonna allow this anymore. It's not perfect. Uh, there's a whole lot of gray area that Apple is not uh, addressing, but it's one more step toward more privacy and more data security. So I thought that was a pretty good. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a step forward in the whole uh, the whole phone privacy direction too, because it's something that they haven't really been. None of the companies that that, that make phones have been very open about. Right. The nice thing is it's on by default, so you can turn right. it off. You can say. There's two options. You can say, let apps ask me if I want to be tracked. I'm not sure who would who who wants to be tracked, but OK. And then apps will then have to ask you individually. You know, each app will have to ask or don't let apps ask me. Just I don't want to I don't want to hear from them. I don't want to do this, period. I've already decided blanket. And that's I, I, that really puts the power in the user's hand in that case. So that, that that's a that's a good thing to to see. Especially given our next story, by the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this was an interesting one because Congress is a, a group of bipartisan lawmakers uh, are asking ad networks or ad ad purveyors, ad sellers, because it includes Google and Twitter, which I don't think of them as ad networks per se, but well, Google kind of is, but uh, <laughs> they're in the business of selling ads. But anyway, it asked the ad networks. To, to tell them what foreign companies they're giving user data to because they're concerned that foreign intelligence services are working with those foreign companies, like getting the data through them to harvest sensitive information on U.S. users. And that's actually a really good point. Mm -hmm. I hadn't thought of that. What do you guys think? I think it's a definitely a legitimate concern. We've seen over the past few years, especially how how many holes there are in things that you don't even realize, even like with solar winds when that all came out. Right. Um, and with ad networks, those are designed to harvest data. So they're going to be that much easier to be infiltrated. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think too, you have to remember that the landscape is shifting so that 
we're not looking for sensitive data anymore. We are looking for that purely metadata concept, that construct. And all the, all these, all these uh, foreign intelligence agencies have to do is get what is popular. Now let's make something that fits in that ad space that also creates incentive for people to be mad about something or to Mm -hmm. disagree with a popular Mm -hmm. opinion or to, to push our view of a certain issue. Uh, or to just push Discord, like not even to push a view in particular, but just to create a space where people are going to be argumentative, right? Right. And so it's not so much about what is hackable or what information is uh, meant to be secure or secret, but what is just kind of generally surface level usable in their uh, in disinformation campaigns. I think that's that's one of the areas, too. And the other area that concerns me is we've seen how uh, consumer companies in America can use the, the mass of data that they have on any individual, you know, your shopping habits, your your location habits, all these habits to build a profile of users, of, of individuals mm-hmm. and and then spread that across large, uh, large networks of people. And the amount of information you can gather about a particular person based on these linkages of what seems like disparate information sources. And if I'm a big, if I'm Russia, if I'm China, let's just name them, you know, I've got these huge computer networks that can crunch all this data, these, you know, the machine language, machine learning, you know, supercomputers, I can crunch data and I can find out a lot of information about a person that they may, that you don't think they can find out about you. And they, right. they do uh, based on little bits of data. And that's like also a concern so the more data that they can harvest, the more accurate this sort of stuff can be. And that that also concerns me. So I'm going to beat the seven year old drum and say everybody needs to go read that uh, that uh, essay by uh, Kieran Healy about uh, finding the founding fathers by their just by their connections to certain groups that were known to collaborate with each other. Right. And it, mm-hmm. it's I'll I'll make sure we include a link to that. But it's a yeah. it's a great article that shows you what what metadata can do to narrow down to very specific people uh what who they are and what they're connected with. Right. What they could yeah. have even it's, done in the eighteenth century. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, just just with the information that's there using modern techniques. So that's um, again glad Congress is on on top of that. That's one. I'm, I'm shocked to say I'm I'm glad Congress is doing their job, <laughs> but they are doing <laughs> they're doing something right. So the next story is another one wh- that concerns something that we've talked about before, and this is a guy in Detroit is suing the police department for false arrest based on bad facial recognition match. So this guy was there was a there was a shoplifting incident that. Police used facial recognition on a grainy image from a security video. They this guy was came up as a potential match, which, you know, who wasn't a potential match on a grainy security video? Uh, They brought him in. They had a lineup that included this guy's picture, showed it to a security guard who actually wasn't present at the shoplifting incident, but had watched the video. And that's how they got a warrant to arrest the guy. The guy spent 30 hours in the in the jail. He eventually. The prosecutor's office apologized. The police department, have, you know, apologized. But they're they're suing based on the fact that this facial recognition technology not only just doesn't work as well as TV and movies like make us think it works, but it's also because learned they've learned that it's biased against people of certain ethnic backgrounds, especially uh, black people, and that's right. that, that's a that's a huge problem. 
And that's just an issue of of physics there. Like if less light reflects off of your skin, it's going to be harder for those cameras to collect that data. It's also it's also the algorithms are written with certain biases. And this is um, right. this is something I've read a, a, a few uh, reviews about how um, CV programs work, and they they tend to rely on lowest common denominator. Uh, which you know, I mean, com- we're talking about computing, so you want to make it fast, you want to make it accurate, you want to try and use the, the lowest possible boundary to it. But there are ways to program the algorithms to get around that those issues. And but then sometimes the the computer just needs to be able to say, "Fault can't do this. This there's not enough information here for me to actually mm-hmm. analyze." And that's the thing that is missing is that these computers are trained to find an answer, not to say, nope, there's nothing here that I can really do with this. Right, right, exactly. That's not that's not the outcome. Anybody that you if I'm selling something to a police department, the I, I don't want the uh, my software to be saying, well, I can't do anything with this more often than than rarely. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. That's a good point. I think. um I saw recently that there's been a lot. Um, I remember a while ago we talked about Clearview AI, and that's mm-hmm. been coming up a lot recently in the news and how how much it's being abused, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was an interesting uh, anecdote, I think, in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, uh, talking about how uh, Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg, and and, and uh, I'm saying Steve Jobs, Tim Cook encountered each other at some like bash for billionaires or something. You know, they get together and plan how to take <laughs> over the world, and uh, they were at some event together and. Zuckerberg said to to Tim Cook, like, hey, if you were in my shoes, you know, how would you deal with this scandal concerning Cambridge Analytica and, and that sort of stuff? And, and Tim turns to him and says, delete all user data. I mean, just delete it. Stop doing that. And like Zuckerberg was devastated because he's just not that's not something he could even imagine doing is is stop doing that sort of thing. And that's that's where we are with this sort of stuff is like they, they're it's like they're addicted to it. These companies yeah. are addicted yeah. to the data. So, so a tool that they didn't have 10 years ago, they think is it will destroy them if they can't have it now. And that's that's classic addiction language. I'm glad again, glad that they're being called to account on both of these cases. And uh, we're, we're getting somewhere on that. So the last headline I want to talk about is this MasterCard story. MasterCard. I don't usually want to talk about like mergers and corporate mergers. So that's not really interesting. But the, the MasterCard has acquired this company, an identity verification company called Ikata. And I found it fascinating because what Ikata does is it, it's, uh, what's the, I had a good analogy for it, but they, they create basically an identity score. They verify someone's identity in real time online using something that's kind of like a credit score, except it's an identity score. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's a, it's a, a number that predicts the likelihood that the person is who they say they are. And this is a big deal for for credit card companies because there's so much credit card fraud. I got hit with credit card fraud last month. I got thousands of dollars of charges on my uh, on my credit card uh and I think I know the company where my number got out and that's why I I've now switched to exclusively using privacy.com uh burner cards. I've talked about that as a pick of the week before. I, it's not. A, I don't get paid to say that. I, I just use the service. It's free. Uh, check it out, privacy.com. And uh, but that that's just a side point. But what Ikata does is it it's it it's kind of fascinating. It brings together all of this data and and builds this profile in real time. So it's one of these things where it's it's the same sort of thing we were talking about as a concern 
of companies building profiles about us. But in one, in another way, it kind of protects us, or is it really more just protecting MasterCard? And because we're well. already protected <laughs> by the law, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's not protecting. It's not protecting you more than it's, it's, right. that's why MasterCard's buying it, not you. That's, why, that's right. true. That's just selling yeah. to you. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I, I, it's nice, though. It's it's nice, but it's also dangerous because um, uh, the bank that I bank with, uh, they have done some things similar to this in the past. And uh, we've been on a road trip and, you know, we're homebodies. We don't go many places. so. You go on a road trip and you pull in somewhere and you need gas. Yep. And you go to swipe your card and it gets denied. And you're like, why is my card being denied? Well, because you are outside of your normal boundary of things that you do. But I need gas. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. like it's me trying to use my own card. And now my the company that controls my money is being too harsh in trying to protect me. Right. Where now I can't get access. So we had to call the bank. We ended up right. calling the bank and saying, no, actually, we're on a road trip. This is what's going on. It's it's a justifiable charge. Please allow it to go through. Yeah, they there are patterns that they look that they look for. I, I remember mm-hmm. hearing about like if. People like who do like bear, buy a pair of shoes and then get gas. That's like right. a pattern. Uh, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. It, it, that's a very simplistic version of it. But uh, I've done that where I've gone to buy something, I get denied or declined, and then my phone rings. It's my bank. That's actually a good case where it's like, uh, you know, hey, sir, we've detected this transaction. Is it fraudulent? No, I'm trying to get gas. <laughs> Can I get gas, please? I'm trying to pay for my restaurant bill or whatever it is, you know, and uh, they're usually good about it. And that's why they always suggest if you're going on a trip, let us, you know, give us a call. We'll make a flag that you're that if we see the like I went back years ago when I would go. Sometimes I have overseas trips if I were going to Europe or something like that. I would say, okay, I'm going to Spain for World Youth Day uh, for this time period. So transactions with my account in 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 Spain during this time period are probably okay, and that works out better. But it's a it is a hassle, and I think that's what this is designed to get to to make it less of that, so that mm-hmm. they're not having to deny as many things based on these these more uh, random things, but to be to, to kind of. If they can get a better idea that you are you, the person who's making this transaction, that that helps. That does kind of help you, but this is really about protecting MasterCard. I think this is something that's interesting, but I feel like there's going to be biometric verification that we can do for payments that are going to outstrip the need for this. Like, I already use Apple Pay 90% of the time right. instead yeah. of even swiping a card at this point. Yes, I I use Apple Pay everywhere I can. For precisely that reason, because the number can't be lifted. It's a one-time unique number that can never be used again. And I don't have to touch stuff, <laughs> with it too, yeah. which is another concern in this day and age. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think the biometric is, is a better way of doing that. We'll see. And I, I get a little heebie-jeebie with you know building scores. It sounds a lot like China's social score. Thing. Yeah, that was right. a little... That's a little concerning. Well, the credit score, could we we're comfortable with the credit score? And the credit score is already just like... Oh, I'll, I'll tell you what, as a 38 year old trying to get my first credit card, just no, it's, yeah, it, it's ridiculous. I'm having to call these companies I'm having to do a special, uh, like prepaid card just to make sure that I can build my credit to prove. Yes. I haven't needed it my whole life. And now all of a sudden it's a problem. Yeah. It's hard to do. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, this is sort of a tangent, but I, I just paid off my with the stimulus money i paid off my van loan on my on our family mm-hmm. van and my credit went down 
<laughs> because right. I, yeah, I have penalize you. Yeah, I have a less credit available, uh, and it was one of my older credit, you know, like open accounts, I guess, or and so it decreased the average age of my credit of my like that doesn't make any sense. My credit's better. I don't. I'm not. I don't have this this payment every month. Yeah, the credit scores. Arr. Anyway, and, and having your credit score at your fingertips all the time is worse, frankly, oh, because yeah. if they're constantly telling me how it's going up and down, and I'm and I got I find myself going, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this or the no. Do I need to do this? Do I need to buy this thing now? Then I'm going to buy it. I'm not going to worry about how my credit score is reflected in it. Right. So yeah, that's but that's. That's the whole point of it. They want to keep you on that credit so they can collect the interest. So that's why it's set up the way it is. It's a yes. total scam. It is a scam. It is a scam. Uh, okay. So let's let's move on. My blood pressure is going up. I want to I want to move on to something more fun like picks of the week. So uh, so Jack, why don't you give me a, a nice fun pick of the week? All right, my pick of the week. Recently, I've been getting into this kind of links back to our uh, first topic buying retro tech and refurbishing it and there's this awesome company called iFlash and they make these uh, flash adapter cards for the old iPods where it's a SATA adapter so you take in, take out the old hard drive and then you can put in a micro SD card into the old iPod and it works completely fine. I got an old iPod video off of eBay for a few bucks uh, took out the hard drive, put in a 256 gigabyte flash drive put that in and it works completely fine all you have to do to set it up is plug it back into the computer and restore it through iTunes. You don't have to do any anything additional. Um, wow. So now I've got a 256 gigabyte iPod video. <laughs> it works great. That and is awesome. it's extremely easy. Yeah. Okay. Now, now put Linux on it, and then I'll be impressed. I'm just kidding. Oh, that's the next step. Yeah. <laughs> it can be done, man. It can be done. <laughs> do that's that more yeah. than enough space for a Linux install. <laughs> <laughs> and these are these are not expensive. I mean, like there's like I think the most expensive one of these I see on their website is like forty bucks. That's uh, yeah. that's pretty. Yeah, expensive. yeah. No, they got a lot of options, and it's it's extremely easy to do. So if you're looking for a project to get into modding tech, it's actually a good place to start. Yeah, hey, maybe I'll get my son to do it. He likes taking stuff apart. <laughs> Although I'm not sure I want to encourage that. But <laughs> maybe this would be a productive <laughs> way of taking stuff apart. That'd be good. Awesome. That's a good one. Uh, Thomas, what's your pick this week? Okay, so my pick this week is, uh, uh, since you guys keep talking up the Quest so much and the VR uh, experience, um, <laughs> I, had to, I had to go with something that I've been toying around with. I haven't used it yet. So um, I have to be completely 100% honest. I haven't used it yet. But it's a program called Tabletop Simulator, and it's on, available on Steam. It's 20 bucks if you buy just one copy, but if you get four copies, it's like a buy four, get one free, or buy three, get one free uh, kind of thing. So if you have a group of friends that you want to play tabletop games with, each one of you has to have uh, an install of this program on. But it is a tactile uh, experience of playing a tabletop game virtually. And so you have a hand that moves things around. Uh, on just a computer front, it's fantastic. You can set up, uh, I, I use it for Dungeons and Dragons. So you can set up a Dungeons and Dragons set uh, on the board and you can move the pieces around as you would need to. You can, you, they, ha they even have some pre-included three-dimensional dungeon tiles uh, that you can put together uh, to make your dungeon tile set. Um, so it's it's really great. The, the best part about it, I think, is that you can actually enter the virtual reality uh, just by default. The game is built so that you can go into like a first-person mode and then use all the same stuff that you would from your uh, quest and just move the objects around on the table. You can play chess. You can play checkers. You can play uh, any kind of card game. Uh, they they actually have downloads. So you can download extra games to 
play on the tabletop. Uh, some of them are as cheap as like three or four bucks. Some of them range into the ten to twelve dollar uh, range. But they're uh, board games that someone has taken the time to sit down and put together. Uh, you know, like take the pictures of the different cards and put them together so that they work on the on the tabletop. And then uh, my favorite feature, <laughs> absolute favorite feature of this. There is a flip the table option. Yeah. <laughs> so you can you amazing. can just become incredibly enraged and flip the entire table. It throws all of the pieces all over the place. And um and then you just push control Z and it brings it all back to where it was right before you flip the table. So nice. no harm, no foul. Uh but it does it doesn't even have options for like flicking. So if you wanted to play uh, a game that required you to flick uh objects onto the game board, you can do that. You can throw the objects just as easily as you would in real life. It, it's a really, really, it's older, so the graphics aren't super awesome, but it works really well. Cool. Now, do they have Dejaric, the Star Wars holographic chess game? I <laughs> Probably have not, not seen that one yet. No, I haven't <laughs> yeah. seen that one yet. But here's the great thing. You could make it, you could make it yourself if you wanted to. They, they allow custom uploads. So oh, cool. if you wanted to sit down and take pictures of all the cards and then just upload them into uh, customized shapes, you could do that. Nice. Let the wookie win. There you go. I'll let my wife know about that because she does Dungeons and Dragons with her friends and they do it all over Zoom right now. So, oh, yeah. See, this would be, and it's great because it has built in, um, built in audio and uh, there's no video. So you can't see the other person. But if you're engaged with what's on the table, it's not that big a deal. Yeah. Nice. I could see playing cards with, with, you know, family across the country or chess or that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. What a great idea. I mean, there are online chess games, but this is, it, there's a difference when it looks like you're there and it's in front of you. Right. That, that's cool. And and you can interact with each other, too. That's the great thing is, like, if I wanted to pick up a chess piece and, and taunt somebody by, like, clicking other chess pieces, I could do that. <laughs> it's actually, it actually clicks nice. the other chess pieces. <laughs> nice. Nice. Awesome. That's cool. Uh, all right. So my pick this week is another one of these little uh, Mac utilities that I've got a billion of on my computer. And this one is uh, works. It's for both. It lives on my Mac, but it's for working with my iPad, and it's called Keypad. It's in the uh, Mac App Store. It's only a couple bucks. And what it does is, it very simply, it lets you use your Mac's keyboard as a as the keyboard for your iPad. So there there are certain things I do on my iPad sitting right here next to my Mac. Uh, sometimes I like I've got if I'm in the middle of say of a show and I'm and I'm doing something recording and I don't want to interrupt anything going on there. So I can sometimes look stuff up on my iPad or that sort of thing. And so with a really quick key, it lives on the, in the menu bar and with a key um, combination, I think it's a, uh, I got it memorized. So I don't do it all the time, but I think it's command shift. Let's see, command option, control P no, just command. That's what it's command option P. It brings up a little bar and then that connects to the iPad via Bluetooth. And so it's just like a Bluetooth keyboard. And then the uh, little bar has, buttons on it that uh, I can use to manipulate with the the, the uh, iPad. So I can l- raise and lower the brightness, the, the volume, I can go home, all from this little thing on the screen of my iMac, which is really great. So it's a, it's very simple like that. And it, uh, it's just a few bucks and it works really well. So I would, uh, I would highly recommend it. Uh, if you're looking for something, a way to kind of control an iPad remotely from your Mac uh, without having to get another Bluetooth keyboard. Uh, that's it. That's my pick. So that should do it for us. Uh, if you have any feedback on our discussion or any questions, you want to respond to anything we said about like uh, recycling your old tech or anything like that, or if you have a question like Melanie did, 
or some feedback, uh, you can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Media, or send an email to technology at sqpn.com. And you can find links from our discussion and picks of the week in our show notes at sqpn.com. Make sure to follow The Secrets of Tech in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or on YouTube at the SQPN YouTube channel, where you should make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. Until next time, Thomas Cernerho, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Technology. It's been great. Jack Barazzini, thank you as well. Thanks, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. <laughs>